0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis.
1: Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for joining us. I am Phil Dark, your host, and with me is my good friend, Brandon Stiver. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing well.
2: I'm doing well. It's it's September. Kids are back in school. I got my cup of coffee. We're enjoying... uh, little bit of change in weather so yeah no we're doing all right how how are how are
1: things in your neck of the woods bro going pretty well i would appreciate everyone out there if you are a praying person to pray for my mom she's been in the hospital for six and a half weeks now as the time of recording with uh fighting covid her lungs and uh are, are weakened boy the big thing for her is her blood for the doctors to be able to figure it out hopefully by the time this airs we'll have it all figured out and she'll be back home and everything will be good but please be praying for her. Cause I, we know this isn't the end of the road. So, yeah. um, she knows the Lord that's, that's the important thing, but, uh, for her to be able to keep fighting and, and uh, be able to, to be with us for a bit longer. So, yeah.
2: um, so I'm so sorry to hear that and definitely praying for her recovery. That's, uh, those are the times that we're in and it, and it has such an effect on us, not only when we look out in society, but personally, you know, uh, I have friends and colleagues that have, uh, struggled you know through that illness as well so yes yep. definitely
1: be praying man sorry to hear that no you know it, it it's it's the times that you know we say we believe certain things and the question is do mm. we right and yeah. uh, you know to have that peace that passes all understanding is something Amen. that that yeah. is real and yeah. um i just i just keep praying for that for us um and the family and for her to have that too um but uh you know for for all of us with all this work we're doing right i mean the reality is we're continually in the face of uncertainty and, you know, yeah. and mortality is, is right in our face. And and this obviously a lot of what we're talking about here is caused by these tragedies and different things that go on. And for the children that we're, we're fighting to, to help to flourish. Right. A lot yeah. of that comes from in the face of these things. So for us to continually know where our source is, who our source is, and uh, to have that peace in the midst of this, it, it really makes it possible to do a lot of what we're doing um, so that we don't just crush under the, the just pain of, yeah. of the things we see, right? So that's something I encourage everyone, right? I mean, is to, to truly present your request to God and, and have that peace that passes all understanding that he will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So. That's Amen. my prayer for, for me and for my family and for my mom, obviously, to continue uh, fighting and for all the people who are, are going through that. I, I know we're not alone here um, in that. And I know everyone listening at least knows somebody that's that's struggling with something right now. You know, just one of our friends at school for praying for him, too. Um, a seventh grader just got diagnosed with leukemia, right? And, oh, you know, these it's 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 part of life it's but it's never easy right it's yeah. never easy so anyway that's you know it's heavy the heavier than we normally start right but but that's where we are right But that's, that's life man in, right that's that's the times we're in and it always is the time i think it's more yeah. obvious it's more in our face right now so yeah. um speaking of that we have uh, i think a, we
2: got a guest today right uh, I, I mean we got we got a guy that that is a. Uh, that's doing good work. I mean, there's challenges in various places of the world. And and this is one of those guys that's really uh, taking it head on. So, so Phil, why don't you share a little bit? Who do we, who do we got coming on today?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to leave a lot of it for him to be able to share his story. Right. But as we always do, but I'm super excited. I got, I got to, to meet Aaron Blue, who is our guest today. A few months ago, a friend of mine connected me with him, and just connected immediately. This guy is doing some amazing things on the border of Thailand and Myanmar. Um, amazing story. We're going to get to hear some of the incredible things they're doing with family strengthening, using soccer um, and ministry to connect with communities, which, you know, folks out there, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. And um, so, uh, you know, with, we're not going to really talk too much more now, but he's the Thailand director for the Keras Project. And uh we get to have a great conversation today with Aaron Blue. So without more from us, actually I will say one more thing. If you haven't already done so, uh, you know, connect with us at info at thinkorphan.com. Um, connect with Brandon and I. Just I'm at pdark at providenceworld.com, Brandon at one millionhome.com, right? That's right. Yeah, just connect with us. We'd love to have conversations with you if you have any ideas for guests please share that with us and we can you know see if it's a fit for what we're talking about so without now really without more from us we're going to get to this great interview with Aaron Blue
2: Well, Aaron Blue, uh, it is uh, so good to have you on the Think Orphan podcast. Uh, you know, th- this this somehow has become a, a year where we get to look at Thailand and Myanmar, and we're just so excited to uh, hear a little bit more. So, uh, would you please uh, just take a take a moment and, and introduce yourself briefly, share your story, and and, and how God kind of developed a passion in you for caring for orphan and vulnerable children. And, and really also how you ended up, uh, you know, sitting in what appears to be your kitchen in Thailand. Uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about, about you and, and introduce yourself to our audience.
0: Hey, Phil and Brandon, I'm stoked to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked to be here. Um, there's, there are different lengths of that story. Uh, <laughs> um, Uh, But actually, this is my my office in Thailand. I'm uh, uh, going to be sleeping at the office tonight because of curfew here. I'm not allowed to drive home now. And the internet connection is better in the office. (laughs) 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 So, um, well, shoot. Part of uh, family and children have been central and key and important to me for a long time. I'm the oldest of eight kids. Um, So I've got seven younger brothers and sisters and uh, I got to see how human beings develop, go from infant into adult, into develop before I was a parent. And so that shaped me a lot. Um, and then, uh, and that's glossing over a lot, but that gives, that gives kind of a picture. But I married my wife, Kareen. We got married, um, what, I think this year it's 21. Yeah, it's 21 years now. Our, oh. our marriage married old enough to drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and shortly after we got married, we were in Southern California and we went down to northern mexico to visit uh some friends of mine who ran an orphanage there and it was an amazing orphanage really well done excellent very well thought out very well worked out um and we went and met with them and experienced that and said this space somehow this space is what we feel called to um, and so there was that kind of deep thing going back that far uh, and then and then life happened and uh, 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 we did all kinds of different things I went to seminary uh, started a family uh, and uh, worked for a living and then, the connection with Thailand started, very, very interesting. This is a whole other story, very interesting story. Time in my life, uh, big transitional time, um, fighting with God and uh, uh, and then finally coming to peace. And once I came to peace, my brother was in Thailand at the time, um, doing kind of a gap year, working with different ministries, different projects. And he contacted me and said, there's a group of, of, of tribal leaders on the, in the mountains near the border between Thailand and Burma. And they're really interested in the, they they, they'd like to get more training, more education, more understanding of the kind of leadership and the kind of ministry and, and the kind of, I guess, theology that, uh, that he was giving them. And he said, now, Aaron, you're much, this is your specialty, not mine. How about you come on out here and meet these guys? And so I did. And that was now, what, 13, coming on 14 years ago. And went out and just started meeting with, uh, with indigenous leaders, pastors, evangelists, community leaders, and doing leadership training, ministry training, Bible studies, and on the first trip there, I saw them caring for children that weren't theirs. And um, I don't know the culture. I don't know the situation. I'm this, I'm this white guy coming into this situation, just trying to be some kind of helpful. And they said, oh, we've got all of these orphans here that we're taking care of. And that connected with, uh, with my deep kind of growing up, uh, care for children and build strong humans, build strong adults. Uh, and it connected with my wife and my uh, uh, kind of felt direction towards this sort of space. And I said, okay, here's, here's an opportunity. Let's see what happens. And so we started out just kind of fundraising, just kind of help these pastors, help these help these guys uh, care for the children that uh, in the community. And I came back and continued coming back. And the ideas started to grow, started to develop, and the relationship started to grow. And we started to build this beautiful golden idea for a, a self-sustaining orphanage. Um, running micro businesses, things in the community. And the kids could learn how, like in not as laborers, but in kind of the, fam- the traditional family business model, they could learn how to make their way in the world and learn the skills, things like that. And we were building this idea and it was getting some traction in the US and we were starting to talk to donors and building, building support and I was going back and forth every year doing leadership training and strategy and things like that. But then bit by bit, things weren't matching up. Um, uh, I don't speak the language. At that time, I didn't speak the language at all. Now I speak the language better. I cannot say I'm fluent in Thai. Uh, I can, I can uh, order food and avoid having to go to the bathroom on the street.
2: Uh, those, are, those are important things though. Yes. Those are important things.
0: Really important, really important. I can apologize. Even more important. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 I didn't mean to do that. Um, but so I, in the beginning there, I was very, very dependent on local translators telling me what was going on. Um, and we're working very much with the information that we had and slowly, bit by bit, things stopped matching up and I realized, oh, wait, these kids aren't actually orphans. Yeah. They're not actually orphans. And that started bringing more questions so where where are their parents what happened why are we taking care of them and um i mean i got uh, i got different explanations and in the in the quote unquote industry i started to learn new vocabulary education orphans poverty orphans um, and i got good at using those words and but it just kept getting more and more uncomfortable and so things were not matching up and i I gotta say the best way to explain it is um god put a thorn in my side and it would have been much more comfortable and to, to stick with what we were doing and to keep that model and keep that vision but there was a thorn in my side and i couldn't let it go yeah and part of it is, um, and I forget how many children I had at the time. Now I've got six. And so family is big. I'm neither Catholic nor Mormon. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 we don't watch much television. And so we have kids instead.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Different type of entertainment.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, and so family was always... I grew up in a big family. I grew up in a strong family. I grew up in in a very, not perfect, but very well-adjusted family. And I was working to build that in my own household. And then seeing why are these children that we're caring for not in their families? And it's like, mm, mm. So trying to learn, step-by-step, learn why they were with us. Why aren't they with their mom and dad? Yeah. What's the situation? What's going on? And many different reasons, many different reasons. Um, some is just convenience, just more convenient to, and, and economically uh, beneficial to send their kids to live with the, uh, the, the foreign-funded uh, uh, children's home and go to school and it saves money for the family. And it's just convenient. Sometimes the families were just desperate Sometimes there was abuse. Sometimes there's just, so there's
1: a lot of different stories. Right. And. Hey, Aaron, let me cut you off there. Just not to, well, I will cut you off because I want, we will get into some of that stuff um, in much more depth later. And I I do want to get into it. And so um, first thing I want to say is I'm stoked that you used the word stoked earlier. Um, The second (laughs) is, uh, um because not you know you don't hear that very often as california I I, boys I, I, you know I all three californians us, but i yeah. grew up in california yeah all three of us are california boys so we're we're like speaking the language just for other people out there stoked is excited it's a very good word it's kind of like rad i know that kind of used another word i just wanted to say rad on the podcast i don't think i have yet so um but uh yeah so we do have three three california this is just this is awesome so uh but i also do want to say You know, this is a family show, so we got to be careful on some of the things we talk about. But um, but uh, I'm just I'm totally kidding, Aaron. But uh, so. I I do want to get into a little bit more of the of the actual ministry you're doing with the Karis Project. Right. So we've talked recently about the past several months. We talk a lot about it. In fact, in just the introduction, we talked about the impact COVID is having just on my life personally, but also in the ministries that we work on. Also, recently, in your neck of the woods, there's been flooding, yep. right? And so what have you learned during the last, you know, 18 months of COVID, the, the recent times with the floods, all the other things that you've had in the ministry, um, really about yourself and the communities in which you're working, and the ministry that God is doing and in and through you and others in the community?
0: Yeah, um, if you'll allow me, let me take five minutes and and transition from that history right into that. Yeah. Um, I think I can do that effectively and efficiently. Um, So the thorn in my side is like, where are these kids coming from The, the, the family stories? And what I felt Jesus asking me was, if you and your family were in this kind of situation with your children, what would you pray for? What would you pray for for your own family? And I realized the solution that I was bringing is something I would never pray for for my own family. I would never pray for that for my own family. And, and then the next question was, well, what would you pray for? What would you actually pray for? And it's, it's friends, a community, someone around me to hold my hand, to help me be strong and walk through the pain, walk through the difficulty, walk through the crisis and become stronger together on the other side as a family together and so the answer that came right after that was well um do unto others as you would have them do unto you and so that transition that began the transition into what we're doing now into what we're doing now which is um uh to to steal a overused Uh, And maybe misunderstood phrase, we focus on the family. Um, Healing and strengthening to the family unit. Um, uh, uh, For some reason, I don't, it's not my job to question God, but God has children born in families for a reason. And I see it as my responsibility and our responsibility to protect that and to strengthen what God has already done. And so the the building resilience, building health, building strength in the family unit. Now, when it comes to the current situation, none of that changes. This is flooding, COVID. It's just another crisis. And the way a family gets through that is through resilience. The family is strong in in one way, it's strong in another way. And every family goes through pain and difficulty. Every family, it doesn't matter whether whether you're a refugee or a migrant family on the border between Thailand and Burma, or you're in Huntington Beach, California. You experience pain, you experience difficulty. Pain hurts no matter where you're at. And it is the resilience of the family. And there are skills that there's, there's knowledge and there's wisdom that God has laid out and that, is, that families can learn. And so what we work to do in, our, in the current ministry is to equip families with the skills, the emotional skills, the relational skills, the, the 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 knowledge frameworks to have the resiliency to be able to keep swimming when when the waters of crisis rise, and so whether it's running away from sixty years of civil war in Burma, or it's flooding, or it's COVID, or it's trying to find work in a country that's not your own, uh uh when your family is hungry, all of those things are, are ameliorated in the family when the family knows how to love each other. Yeah. when it Knows how to relate when it has the emotional strength and the tools and the skills to be able to lift each other up and strengthen each other.
2: Yeah, no, that's good. and And I feel like, you know, when we talk about kids that are outside of family care. And then when we do talk about families, you know, one of the things that people will sometimes push back on is be like, a lot of these families are, you know, they're kind of messed up, you know, kind of thing. And to which I would respond, yeah, some of them are, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, and that can be no matter where you are. But what you get after is, is something that I firmly believe as well, is that all the same, while there is brokenness, while there is pain, regardless, it's just part of human existence. The family is nonetheless the context that God has naturally chosen for a child to be raised up in. So it, it it provides the context for us to do work rather than maybe a different model where we're actually facilitating that kid to grow outside of parental care when really that's not the best for that child or for the vast majority of children. Now, you guys at one point were were doing a different model than what you are now. Um, you guys are doing a lot of family strengthening, some community programs and so forth to care for kids, to, uh, work with families, to strengthen the community. Um, but at a previous time you guys were running as an orphanage. Is that right? Yes. And you guys have been on this, uh, trajectory and now, you know, I, I don't, I Aaron, this is my first time meeting you. I also used to work at an orphanage and then switched to family-based care. I was in East Africa for several years. Um, But uh, now, especially for your context, I assume, you've actually had some rather bold statements talking about how orphanages are on the same continuum as as sex trafficking or orphanages aren't caring for children like we think they are so so what do you mean by those uh, statements and then more importantly how do those realizations relate to the work that you're doing
0: yeah 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 those are those are bold statements and i have said that and it's important but it's important to know to know the heart that comes from. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I have many very good friends who are passionate about caring for children and they run orphanages. It's it, to, 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 to make those statements is not to say that the people who run an orphanage well and put their heart and soul into it. It's not to say that they're evil.
2: Yeah,
0: not absolutely. at all. It's not at all. I have so much respect for many, so many of my friends and so many of the people that are working so hard to do a good job in that model. Yeah. However, however, um, the business model of the orphanage depends on families falling apart. It just functionally, structurally depends on, on, the destruction of families and so there's a there's a a either real or potential conflict of interest in that business model um and so and so that that's how i try and look at it that's how i try and understand it. um there are when it comes to trafficking i know of, I know of situations where children are removed from their families by well-meaning people, well-meaning people who believe that they're doing the best and then transported without their family's knowledge uh, 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 across state borders, across national borders and have no contact with their family. Technically, that's trafficking. Legally, that is trafficking in children. but it's done with the best of intentions, but it's legally trafficking in children. Um, And my my response to that, whenever I have conversations with them is, no, let's work to build the families, let's strengthen the families where those children came from. Let's help their parents to do a better job. Let's help that. Um, And so, yes, it's on a continuum um, and it's good to understand. I, I, I'll, I'll use technical language. My background is in philosophy and, and theology, and, and study neuroscience, things like that. So I'll use technical language. Um, and so it's in some ways akin to that, because of the conflict of interest of the business model, and because of the legal structure that often comes into place, where it is actually legally trafficking in children but for benevolent intention that doesn't mean it's the right thing but it's benevolent intention yeah and so it's it's being on the ground and having and you know you've been in the you've been in 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 the in the mud um there are the there are evil people who run orphanages they exist they exist In my experience, most of the people who run orphanages, they do it because it's the best they know and it's what they were taught. It's the best they know and it's what they were taught. And they're trying to do the best they know and what they were taught to take care of children. But practically, it ends up being destructive of families. It ends up tearing families apart. And it ends up putting children in situations that are not optimal. And a story that my brother told me, I've got, I've got a brother who worked for a long time in, in, um, in the U.S., working with a, um, a ministry that, that worked with youth uh, that were either wards of the state um, sometimes the kids were put there, you can go to juvie, juvie or go to this camp. Um, sometimes parents would, would have their children picked up and transported there. Uh, and so it's all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that he told me, years and years of working in that in the US, his, his observation was um, our threshold for where a bad family is bad enough that you should remove them is where we want the threshold to be is a lot lower than it really is for the sake of it should be for the sake of the children yeah um even in a bad family even in some degree of abusive family removing the children from that family just adds to their chaos they're already in chaos and then removing them from that makes more chaos on top of it and so it's this 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 threshold of where where's the point where you where the child should be removed practically it's 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 higher than we would want it to be when we look at the outcomes for the children yeah and so it's all of those things together so it's 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 a complicated thing and it's so difficult to make to make um ex-cathedra statements yeah um it's easy to make strong statements but it's it's it is so complicated i i I keep going back to support the family strengthen the family that's our first that should be our first our first engagement our first engagement
1: and on that note so that's that that kind of takes us into the next step so we all know right i mean i would say most people who uh understand scripture and and know how family works know that ideally every kid can stay in their biological family have it be super healthy and they can flourish and live happily ever after right but we live in a broken world right we live in a world where it's not perfect it's not ideal things happen orphaning events happen. There are actual double orphans in the world. There are people who don't have family. There are people. So we know that all these things are going on, but there's also so many families who, if we could, if we could actually strengthen them, if we can pour into them and help them to deal with the issues that they have, whatever they may be, um, we can have, we can strengthen and we can help families be healthier. Right. And it may not look, ideal to us it may not look perfect to us it may not look good enough to us but as you just said think that that standard that we have sometimes is too high because we project our family onto it or we project the way that we think it should look onto it right so that's why we do this show right that's why we do this podcast is because it it sometimes is a very simple family is the best yet a very complex in reality and in practice, right? This theory practice gap is huge sometimes, massive sometimes, right? Usually, right, in the work that we're doing. Otherwise, we would have had it figured out a long time ago, right? <laughs> so with that, some people do think they have it figured out, by the way. So assuming you're not that person, and uh, we have people around the world who aren't those people, uh, you know, what are some of the ways that you are strengthening families that we can strengthen families that you've seen that have worked in your neck of the woods, in your area of the world that likely will work other places? Um, you know, you have savings groups, right? It, talk about that. Talk about other ways that you are actually having success, strengthening families who we otherwise would have written off a long time ago, right?
0: Yeah, sure. Um- <clears throat> Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the the savings groups, we've got three main programs, uh, ongoing programs in the CARES project. It's family rescue, family education, and family enterprise. Um, and the, the savings groups, or VSLA, Village Savings and Loan Association, for people who are familiar with that, um, that's kind of the core of the family enterprise program. Now... We all know that money doesn't fix all of your problems, mm-hmm. but not having any money makes all of your problems worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, in the 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 communities where we work, we wanted to experiment. And I'm familiar. I, I've read Muhammad Yunus and uh, microfinance, and see there's there's opportunities here, uh, and there's something can happen. And I had learned about the model of VSLA, Village Savings and Loan. We don't loan money, we equip people, we equip communities and train them to be able to run their own micro bank. Um, And what we've found, now let me really quickly give the context. And this context carries globally in a lot of the similar situations. Um, The people that we work with have no access to financial infrastructure, any kind of formal financial infrastructure. Um, They're they're refugees and migrant workers. Uh, They can't get a bank account. Um, And so what constitutes financial infrastructure for them is cash under their pillow and willpower. Cash under their pillow and willpower. Now, any of us who've, had, who've tried to save money that's in our wallet know how powerful willpower is. It's not that strong. Now add to it that your children are hungry and that you've got, you're stressed out and you, you, you don't have the ability to, to have the, it taxes your willpower. And so the, the fallback is uh, black market lenders. The fallback is black market lenders, 20% per month on average. And so everyone is in debt. Everyone in our community is in debt. Uh, They, because they have their cash under their pillow and they spend it. And then they borrow money because they need to get more money to get through the month. They need to get for this crisis, whatever. Now, what we've done, the, the VSLA model is I think 30 years old, it started out in Africa, it's globally validated. No one had done it in this community, in the migrant and, and non-camp refugee community in Massot. We said, let's give it a shot. Let's give it a shot and see what happens. Maybe we'll succeed, maybe we'll fail, but let's, let's take a shot. And we did and uh, first started at the end of 2017. And since then, 90% of the families who, who work with us, who join a, a savings group, are debt free with cash in hand within the first year mm. without having a new job. All that's happened is they have a stable, trustworthy infrastructure to be able to capture and protect the value that they already have. Before, it was just going away, going away, going away. Now, what happens for families in that is a huge stressor disappears. Having no money, and I've been in the situation where I maxed out my last credit card in order to pay rent and had no money in the bank with, with, with three kids, with three children and a wife and no job. I've been there, not as bad as the people that, I've, that, that we work with but I've been to that level and I know that stress. Mm-hmm. You, you lose the ability to think, you, it, it, it damages the relationships. It, it's just really, really tough. And the shift from being able to capture the value that you already have and protect it and save it and build it and say, oh, we have some breathing room with the money. Mm-hmm. This happens. We can solve this. We can eat. Okay. The, the resiliency of the family, the relationship the, between mother and father, between parents and children, it has a huge qualitative difference. Huge qualitative difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, we know there's so much more to all of these different things we're talking about today. And, uh, you know, one last thing I want to talk about is the uh, soccer ministry you have and, and, you know, using soccer to connect with a community. Right. And using that as an and as an inroad, it's something that is something that I'm seeing the huge value of that and really starting to do more work intentionally with sports ministries, because I know that they will be able to connect with kids that the orphan care ministries might not ever be able to talk to and with so to be able to do that both and is is amazing so i'd love for you to speak to that and also before you do that real quickly share how people can learn more about the charis project because we know there's so much more to learn as you talked about these different aspects of the work you're doing
0: sure the easiest way is the charis okay. t-h-e-c-h-a-r-i-s project.org that's the website. We've got, we've got newsletter. We've got a lot of information on there. It's, it's a pretty deep website, and um, there's contact information for asking more questions, and and obviously, there's a donation portal.
1: Yeah, and we'll put that <laughs> in the show notes. We'll put that in the show notes for sure, and uh, cool. I encourage you folks to check that out for sure. Um, yeah.
0: So, soccer, or as we call it out here, football. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, That, that's really exciting. That has come out, it organically came out of the community where we used to run the orphanage.
1: Mm.
0: When we deinstitutionalized, when we reunited the children with their family, we had families, we had relationships and history in that community. Um, Right now, Mesot is down in the valley, right on the border the orphanage was up in the mountains to the west to the east of us and and so we work in these little bit different places and the when we when we closed the orphanage when we reunited all the kids with their families said we're not we don't want to let go of this footprint we don't want to let go of the relationships that we've built and so and this is great this speaks directly to the soccer thing and this is it's it's how it came about, I think it's just hugely beautiful. Um, I went to the community leaders and said, all right, you know me, we've been here for a long time. We're not doing this anymore, but our mission, our goal is to heal and strengthen families for the sake of the next generation. I said, what is it that is destroying your community? What is it? What are the, what's the main thing that's destroying the families in your community? They said, drugs, drugs, that's it, easy. Um, And and so we went from there and said, okay, let's, let's brainstorm and see, bring back to the meeting three things that didn't work, three things that you've seen that don't work. And then three things that you've seen that do work in order to deal with the problem in your community. And they came back with a number of things that didn't work. They said, uh, giving people money doesn't work. Uh, 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 give, uh, uh, fostering businesses doesn't work. Um, shame and guilt from the pulpit doesn't work. Uh, and so, but you know what? Every year we try to do this and we raise the money. We kind of put the money together ourselves. And uh, we try every year to put together a little bit of a soccer tournament for the villages around. And we get a little bit of organized play for about three weeks, a little bit of coaching, organized play, and then do a tournament. And what we've seen is when we do that, all the kids stop doing drugs. They would rather play soccer than do drugs. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. What do you think do you think you know this community better than me this is your people what do you think do you think if there was more soccer there would be less drug use if we could do that more through the year there would be less drug use oh yeah absolutely they're doing drugs because there's nothing else to do it's just boring it's 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 mountain villages with nothing i said would there be any other benefit to that. And I said, oh, we would get to mentor the kids. We would get to have impact on their lives. We'd get to um, uh, uh, build them up and encourage them in ways that, I mean, honestly, their families don't know how to do. And um, we haven't translated all of our family strengthening education curriculum into the language that's up there because we developed it down in Mesad itself, in Burmese language, and up there they speak Lahu and Thai. And so it's like, we're working on putting that up there, but it's a whole process of translation and, and all of that. But they said, the families are where they are, let's start working with the kids. And with soccer, we can reach the kids, we can influence the kids. They would rather do this than do drugs and we have the opportunity to reach out to them and 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 encourage them and mentor them and build skills and knowledge and character and and pointing to something bigger yeah and that's so and good i said that's beautiful that's beautiful i said do you guys realize do you guys realize that what you have come up with on your own is a globally validated model yep have you ever heard of this anywhere else? They said, "No, we never heard of this."
2: Yeah, no, it's so good. No, I and and as a as a guy that uh, grew up playing soccer my whole life, just realizing the positive impact of of child and youth sports, um, you know, in such a in such a seminal period of a person's life, um, it's it's one of those activities that kind of punches above its weight, you know, like oh, all I took was a ball and grabbed a few friends and had this massive impact on a person, you know, like that, that's one of the things that's so amazing about youth sports. So I just love that. Well, and I will say Brandon real quick
1: for those of you who remember Rick Morton, I will say, if you tried American football in that instance, it wouldn't have worked. I'm just, that's just for Rick. (laughs) So Rick, if you're listening, there you go. Anyway, go back. To you, it doesn't. Ren.
2: It doesn't. It doesn't translate well. Uh, Aaron, this has been. It's been awesome to hear about what you guys are doing in Thailand. And uh, if you've heard the podcast before, you know we're all about spreading word of mouth and uh, and and hearing about things that have influenced the people that that we have on the podcast. So, uh, with that, would love to know what have you watched, read. Or listen to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children and families with excellence?
0: Um, I can give you the long, complicated answer, or I can give you the easy give. Um, Go the, with the, the easy give. Yeah, the, the, the easy <laughs> give, easy pull is Lion, the movie Lion.
2: Okay, yep.
0: That's it, it it's a punch in the gut.
2: It's a punch in the gut, man.
0: (laughs) We watched it here with our whole team, with our Burmese and Thai team. And they said, I said, you're going to, this is going to be powerful. You're going to cry. And they said, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. We've seen, we've been through a lot of stuff. Everyone was sobbing their guts out. And it's like, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to fix this. We're trying to stop this. This is, and the mate, every one of them, had stories that were similar to the to the stories that boy went through it's Like, yeah. yes we know this we know this yeah and so that that's an easy pull that's
2: so good yeah no that movie when when i watched it with my wife it was like one of those things it's not like a movie like okay let's go to sleep now it was like Oh, I just got punched in the face with something, especially when you've devoted yourself to orphan care and were adoptive parents. And so it was, yeah, no that that's definitely something worth checking out. If you guys, if our listeners have not watched the movie Lion yet, it's very well done and and a compelling story. All right, uh, last question: What person uh, has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence?
0: I would have to say my mother um she she's i'm I'm the oldest of eight kids as i said um when she gave birth to me she made a decision uh in front of god to be a mother that is it she made a commitment for her life i will be a mother and sacrificed her life for that for for i'm 20 years older than my youngest sibling and so for nearly 40 years she was devoted to being a mother and that extended beyond the bounds of blood and it I, i've got to say it's she has been the biggest influence in me on that um maybe not in maybe not in teaching concepts and things but modeling how to love vulnerable and it's it's a big part of it is not is you don't love in general you don't love orphans you love this person you love this person you do the best you can you give the best love that you can working between you and jesus together to love this person the best possible
1: Mm and then the next person, and then the next person. That's right. Love that. Love that as a great way to finish this conversation that, again, could go on and on and on, and we've had some other good ones, and I wish we could just record all of them and share them, but I'm glad we were able to do this and share uh, this little bit um, to learn from you. As I've done already uh, in our conversations together. So thank you so much, Aaron, for being a part of this conversation, being a part of the show. and uh, just for the new friendship that we have, I very much appreciate it.
0: Thank you, guys. it's been it's been an honor and a pleasure. my my being stoked at the beginning has has been warranted.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, thanks again, Aaron, for joining us for yet another what I think is a great conversation here on Think Orphan. And just as always, man, I'm just continually learning from these people, Um, amazing people doing amazing things and um, all for God's glory. So and for the flourishing of the children, you know, yesterday in my class, I talked about the anatomy of flourishing, which was episode 20 here with Andy Crouch talk about this idea of you have to have authority and vulnerability and to hear the vulnerability there. um, Aaron talking as he's talking about learning and not knowing and not understanding and just that humble learning posture was so evident, but when I hear from you, what'd you think Uh, conversation? I know this was your really first experience with, uh, with learning from Aaron.
2: Yeah, no, it was really good to meet Aaron. Uh, Just appreciated the work that they're doing there um, his own, uh, learning trajectory, as you were talking about having that humble posture and where that's led them, you know, that's led them to more effective ministry, right? That's led them to not just impacting a small group of children, but really families and communities throughout their region. So, yeah, I, I I really loved it. You know, the thing that really kind of stood out to me, uh, was when he was actually talking about those savings groups. Yeah. Um you know I think when we talk about the importance of uh, family strengthening community services we all recognize that poverty is one of those underlying chronic things in a lot of these communities and just because you you know, maybe you used to run an orphanage, maybe now you have a social workers on your team and you manage cases or however you run your organization. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden now you have an, you know, an economics background, right. Or that you're going to know how to um, do, you know, uh, this, this uh, economic community development type of stuff. Um, And that's one thing that as I engage with, um, you know, these nonprofits and organizations throughout the world, that economic piece is huge, you know? So uh, the fact that they've actually been able to uh, implement those and that they've done the homework and, you know, he, he mentioned uh, Eunice and the Grameen bank, which kind of uh, spearheaded um, those microfinance uh, initiatives that have proved to be very effective, including uh, in South and Southeast Asia. So uh, I just, I love that. I want to see more stuff like that for OVC ministries. Um, because if we're not tackling poverty, we're just missing such a huge contingent of what these families really need. So, um, that was definitely what stuck out to me. Um, and, and I think, uh, Phil, you, do you have a recommendation that's maybe even along those lines, or maybe you want to talk about something that stuck out to you as well? I mean, yeah, I mean, you what know, what are you thinking, man?
1: I mean, I'll kind of blend the two together because we did go a little long on that interview, but, um, I'm glad we did because there's so much good stuff in it, but, I think you know it's something I talk about a lot, and I love that we actually have someone who's dealing with it in practice is the idea of sports and, and soccer in particular, football where you are in the world, depending on where you are. It's so powerful, as he said it's and it's something that we see in our own kids, right? Like kids get bored, as they say, boredom is the devil's playground, right like that's where you're going to see where our kids, they talk, I mean, my own kids, my son yesterday, he's, I mean, if he's not busy for two seconds, he's bored, right? Yeah. And either they're going to like just dead in their mind to video games all the time, or they're going to go do drugs, or they're going to go get involved with the wrong crowd, or they're going to go seek out something. If we can provide that better alternative. Yeah. Right. And whether it's participating in sports cheering on sports being a part of a team in some way seeing that your community coming around being at the park doing fun good things and then being able to speak truth into the situation as he said they're working on translating their materials into these different things to be able to have that because what you do when you build when you you build these teams and you come around through this 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 sport is you build trust right in, in these, whether it's in relationship, whether it's because they think you're a really good soccer player, whatever it is. It's a reason why it's a way our mind works, whether it's legitimate or not. People listen to athletes, people listen to actors, people listen to people who sing well, right? Like why? Yeah. I still don't know a lot of the time, but it's human nature at some level. So we could either fight against it and complain about it and say it's stupid. And why do they do that? Or we could harness it and say, how can we use it for good. Right. So I I see them doing that. Right. So going to that, transitioning into the recommendation, um, it's somebody that if you listen to this show at all, you know that there's a man that I respect greatly. A few, a couple men, actually, I'm going to reference here when we're talking about poverty alleviation, when we're talking about family strengthening. And as he said, you know, a lot of people, you're not going to be able to do a lot of things if you don't have any money. If you don't have the ability to buy food for your family, if you don't have the ability to have shelter, if you don't have the ability to do certain things, right? So this poverty alleviation is a massive part of family strengthening. It's why we talk about everything is interconnected. You know, dads don't sell their kids into slavery if they aren't struggling with financially, right? Like those are things and it causes so many issues. It causes stress, it causes unhealth, it causes all these different things. Well, Peter Greer with Hope International and the work they're doing, um, in the poverty alleviation world. He wrote uh, one of his many books. He wrote with, I believe, Phil Smith, I want to say. Um, it's called The Poor Will Be Glad. Mm-hmm. And it's an oldie but a goodie. And it's, it's one of his first books. It's got great pictures in it, too. It's a really great hardcover copy. It just feels good in your hands. Yeah. Um, but that's one book. And then the other one that you can't talk about, poverty alleviation and development work without mentioning the Chalmers Center, and Brian Fickert. And, and I know he's not the head of it technically anymore, but he will always be part and parcel of that organization. A great friend, wrote the Forward in Pursuit, a guy who over the years has absolutely seen the connection between the work they're doing and loving orphan and vulnerable kids. So check out the work that they're doing. If you don't know it already, look at Hope International, look at Chalmers Center, see what they're doing, study up on these men. They are the real deal. And know both of them personally. Peter's been on the show three times. Brian's been on the show once. If you don't want to go read their books, go listen to their podcast episodes and, and start and just start learning about this stuff. If it's not something that you know about, Um, because if we're not understanding the interconnectedness and going to this development prevention side, we're missing a massive part of everything that we're doing. Absolutely. No, those are good recommendations, man. All right. Well, Hey, as always, we hope and pray that you're taking what you're learning as you're listening to this episode and hopefully a lot more of these think orphan episodes and you're taking each of them and you're helping you're using them to help you understand how you can love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks.